You really gonna do this? Are we gonna do this? No. I'm good with it if you are. Same here. Then I guess we're really gonna do this. Hey everybody, Ozark Talks, episode number eight, Kaleidoscope. This is really interesting. Uh, When I was in Colombia, I was on a mission for a kaleidoscope in an area of Bogota called Usaquén, and they had a big artist district. And I didn't speak the language at all, but I was on a mission to get that kaleidoscope. And uh, it wasn't where I thought it would be, so I had to go searching for it, of course. It was there every other day, but that day. And uh, finally I found the one kaleidoscope in the entire situation and negotiated it and bought it with very little Spanish skills. And uh, so I thought of that when I saw the title of this episode, Kaleidoscope. Hey Lance, hey Taylor. <laughs> hey guys. Hey guys. Yeah. So this episode uh, is my favorite in a while. I like all the episodes, but this one uh, is kind of a masterpiece of the crew, of the actors, of the makeup uh, artists. You wouldn't notice it or ever think about it, but when you have flashbacks, especially ones that are years different than the contemporary time of the of the storyline you have to change uh, clothing you have to change actors you have to change sets you have to change uh, the look of everything and the feel of everything and the, and the writers have to correlate the way the people are talking the, the technology that's in in the shots so there's a lot of detail that goes into making a convincing flashback And in this episode, we also get, um, well, the, the word kaleidoscope, hopefully everyone knows what a kaleidoscope is. You guys know what that is, right? Yeah. Of course, yeah. Have you used one lately? <laughs> no. no. I bet you there's an no, app. <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> but, well, I've used one somewhat lately, and they're always pleasing. And the, the way a kaleidoscope works is, is that there's a limited number of elements down in this little, uh, in the space that you could call the lens. The lens would be a little plastic cap or a glass cap and then at the end of the tube and then uh, another little cap that holds that stuff in place but allows it to move. And it might be like a prism uh, shaped lens on the end, curved and or multifaceted multifaceted and every time you turn it it's the same elements but they form completely different looking patterns and you could swear that each one is different from the next but when you take it apart and look at it it's all the same elements and they're all falling together in a really obvious and simple way so Ozark 8 I think takes the apparent complexity of the situation and how it seems like you could be questioning the morals of each of the characters up to now. You could be questioning uh, the choices each of the people have made or their ethics or their faith, depending on what perspective you're looking from. But in this episode, we see that no matter what each of the characters thought were their own choices or actions that they took of their own volition, there's a much greater story at play. Each of those characters and each of those situations and the settings are just elements being tossed around in the kaleidoscope. That's the greater story that we're seeing. So in the midst of this, the episode begins with this song by Buddy Holly and Marty and Wendy riding in a car, listening to the Buddy Holly song. Marty commenting 
that Buddy Holly died due to a choice because he wanted to fly faster so that his, uh, he could use less underwear in his travels. So just a seemingly random, simple choice uh, led to his death, supposedly. And then Marty brings up a Hitler example that on D-Day, Hitler was passed out from taking sedatives, so the generals didn't want to wake him, uh, leading to the much more simple and smooth invasion on the coast. So Marty says, any decision, big or small, has impact around the world. And then right after that, there's a car crash. That Marty's not in the wrong. Marty's driving correctly and safely. Then they show the driver making that little decision that Marty's talking about when he reaches for his lighter and burns himself. Exactly. And then that, and that alters the entire course. It's a lot yeah, of poetry exactly. going on there. Because it's a habit, it's an addiction, the, the, or at least a habit. Whether you believe in addiction or not, the habit of, of lighting the smoke while driving. Uh, Dropping it. It's hard to say where that's where that's where the line is between choice and compulsion there. So I think showing that it's not like the guy was like, I'm gonna run this red light. He wasn't conscious and present, making a choice, evaluating his circumstances, or he would never have run the light. But he was acting completely out of awareness, out of compulsion. Might have been different if he was escaping from a bank robbery or if he was, you know what I mean? But it was so mm -hmm. tiny and random. And the conversation that Wendy and Marty had was more casual too, more kind of fun loving mm -hmm. than what we see eight years later. Right. And this uh, conversation is pivotal. So let's keep it in mind. And then through, uh, we'll, we'll come back to it toward the end. So we get the car crash, then we flash to a scene with Dell in a business meeting with people that are not Marty or Bruce, uh, just selling tile. So he's doing what looks like legitimate business. And then in Bruce's office, Bruce is in Marty's office, he wants to employ their services and still is saying that he's in tile. At this point, Dell meets Marty and Marty wants to see the numbers and Dell says, I'll wait. And Marty's like, okay, this guy's serious. And uh, Marty's already getting bad vibes off him in that scene. Mm -hmm. Then we cut to Wendy being interviewed for the campaigning job. And she's basically seen as too old and washed out and not fitting for the position anymore. So she's facing sort of the death of her, her career, at least that career. Mm -hmm. yeah, they didn't want her anymore <laughs> yeah exactly. they didn't want her anymore and that's showing uh, well one thing we're, we're seeing here is a stacking up of various elements that make marty working for dell an inevitability that's what they're I, that's my theory that they're trying to accomplish with this episode mm -hmm. showing that there was no choice that that all the choices were guided by these very deep unconscious pressures yeah, I don't know how hard up they were. I, you would think Marty would be um, doing okay for his family. Well, but we do see there's pressures, and it's not about the money. It's about providing for your family and feeling like you're doing something. Because we've seen Wendy throughout the last seven episodes wanting to provide, even if it was $5,000. You know what I mean? Wanting to provide for Ruth if it's $20, wanting to like give and, and uh, take care of the families. Mm -hmm. So their internal bank... <laughs> needed filling yeah and, and 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 just wait a lot of these scenes point at them feeling whether it's true or not but feeling worries over money and mm -hmm. uh, so the next scene we get is lewis uh who's the accountant the original accountant for dell talking to the fbi agent petty i noticed petty is much more free in his body and much less rigid and much more like um, kind of youthful in a way, less jaded, let's say. And Lewis yeah. is kind of like where Petty starts to get drawn into the web of the cartel. And yeah, he's an inside man. Um, 
Lewis is his inside man somehow or other. Right. And then Lewis, uh, Lewis is the accountant for the cartel and Dell, uh, basically, uh, I don't know why I said it. Oh yeah. Lewis is the accountant for the cartel and Dell. Lewis is threatened by Petty with jail uh, and not being able to watch his family, be with his family, watch his kid grow up. So then we, there's more pressure. All this whole episode is about this pressure of all the different characters in a certain sense, or the way they're tied into the web, whether they like it or not. Next scene, we get Marty, Lewis, Dell, Bruce, and it looked like another guy or two out golfing. Uh-huh. And at this point, Lewis says to Dell that he wants to set up somewhere else outside of Chicago. Dell shuts him down. And Marty is uh, connecting with Dell just by being himself. Yeah. Marty's the only one who's just there authentically in some sense, just kind of enjoying himself and really evaluating what's going on. Whereas everyone else has some agenda or is tied into some shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dell says, a man who only talks business is a failure in all aspects of life. Right, about Lewis. And then uh, Marty, he's a Marty's great. He, he's great at golf. And Dell says, uh, the best shit talk is no shit talk at all. Mm-hmm. Del, so Dell notices a lot about Marty. Mm-hmm. Next scene we get is Petty talking to his mom. And I think it's his husband. I'm not sure if they're married or not, but we'll call him his husband because that's the type of relation they seem to have. They live together. And uh, the mom is having trouble. Petty's concerned. She lost her job. Petty's husband uh, thinks that the mom's on drugs by looking at her eyes. And he looks to be some kind of nurse or a doctor or some kind of medical staff. Another just quick scene showing pressures uh, in Petty's life. Next scene, Marty and Bruce at lunch at the hospital. So we're back to the timeline, uh, the part of the timeline of when the accident took place, the beginning of the episode, way back before uh, he's been working, way before he started working for Dell, a little while before he started. Uh, Wendy's in the the hospital still. Bruce uh, says everything happens for a reason, and Marty just says he's full of shit and it's a bunch of crap and human beings commit acts and make things happen and it's a snowball and he talks about cycles. Do you guys uh, have some more to add about this part? Mm. I think this part comes up more later. Um, I think at this point it's setting something up that we'll start to see later throughout the episode with the uh, uh, theme of decisions and uh, everything happening for a reason or not. Well, Marty also says yeah. things not just a test of the universe. People make decisions, things happen, and you can deal with them or you can crawl in a hole and die. Mm-hmm. That's the overarching theme of this story. It's underlying everything in every detail. Right. It's not a test of the universe. You just deal with what is or you die. Or you crawl in a hole and ignore it and die. And the characters who ignore what is are getting fucked with, like Mason, for example. He's trying to imagine a different world than where he is. That's fine. So is Marty, but Marty's only operating in what is, driven by his faith in the world that he wants to have. And his faith is strong enough to create a little bubble of that safety and stability for his family, even in the midst of chaos. Whereas... Mason would seemingly be, he has his own house, he has property, he's totally set up, he's fine. But he's going to create chaos in his life that destroys him. So things happen, uh, you can deal with them, or you can crawl in a hole and die. So the next scene, we see Marty arriving home. It's unclear what this timeline is. Exactly, it's unclear where, where in time this is. Uh, but it's somewhere after the accident but before he's working for Dell, or may, it's hard to say if it's before or after, but he arrives home, uh, it seems like no one's there, there's a chair tipped over, water left on, the kids are outside on the trampoline, and he's like, where's mom? And the kids are pretty young at this point. 
and Wendy's crying in her room. And he says, what can I do to help you feel better? She says, nothing. She's like, I just needed five minutes. <clears throat> yeah, and when she says uh, she just needed five minutes, Marty says something. He starts to say something that sounds kind of like, um, you know, yeah, but that five minutes could, you know, and then she cuts him off there. But right. sounds like he, he was a little uh, upset about that. Right. And then he, he sees, okay, wait, everything's okay. And instead of imagining what could have happened, I'm going to deal with her pain right now. It is kind of un unclear in the kaleidoscope where this took place because it seems like maybe Dell's people went there and looked around. But um, so she's just doing the pregnancy test, though. And not yet, actually. We don't know when that is. That's yeah, we don't know. The pregnancy test. Yeah. So why was the chair knocked over and the water running? I don't know. So that's what makes me think he either has started working for Dell or he's still thinking about it. Yeah. So he thinks that those things were, were that way, but I think it could have just been her kind of in hysteria, like knocking over the chair, running upstairs and weeping. You know, I've, you know, I've done similar times in my life or seen people do similar as well. So that's not too far-fetched. You know, leave the stove on or burn something or sit there staring out the window too long. So then next scene we get is dinner. Uh, Marty is there, Dell, Bruce, Lewis, and Wendy, and all the wives, Dell's wife, uh, Lewis and his wife, and it looks like there's a few kids around. Basically, it's just Dell buttering up Marty and Wendy, and he's doing a lot of classic negotiation by getting the wives to meet and trying to dig in in as many angles as he can into Marty's life to show him that it's all good. It's all good if he, if he goes that direction. You know, look at all this wealth, this abundance, this friendship, this family. Now, remember, throughout episodes one through seven, there is fucking zero interaction between Dell and Dell's family and like Wendy and the wives and any of that shit. None of that is going on. So it's pretty stark contrast the way that Dell is acting here with Marty before Marty knows what he's getting into. Mm -hmm. That wife was just to be there for that time and God, she's gone after that. We don't even hear about her. So the next scene, Marty and Dell are talking. Marty shows, this is back in the office now when they're first meeting. And Marty shows Dell that the books are, have been faked and that he knows it. And Marty sees that accounts are being skimmed as well. Dell gets heated right away and loses his shit almost. Uh, Dell asks Marty, Dell asks, uh, like, uh, he only wants to work with Marty. And Marty says that his client list is full. Dell invites them on a vacation, him and Wendy, just as a gift for showing him that his books were fucked up and that, it was, that he could find that there were problems and save him some money uh, on the situation. Marty still thinks it's somewhat innocent at this point, that there's, you know, there's something going on and he's not gonna work for him though. He suspects that it's not just tile, he says. Bruce gets pissed off because uh, Marty doesn't accept the vacation. Right away. I think um, Bruce, exhibits similarities to the Langmores or to the Ozark locals here in that uh, he's kind of looking for more of a quick kind of dopamine drip. Yeah, he's like, let's yeah. get this money going. Come on, let's go on vacation. Let's do this, whatever. It's Dell, Dell's awesome. Look how cool it all is. You know? mm -hmm. Marty's never kind of on that vibe, even in the middle of the vacations. <laughs> So the next scene we get is Petty uh, loading up a table with his mom, or for his mom, and his mom's out there, and he's packing for a fly fishing trip with his husband. So we see where the fly fishing in Petty's life uh, came up originally. He's learning it through the guy he was with. 
The mom falls down, gets hurt, still unclear if it's because she was on drugs. My guess here is that this is the first step toward her getting back on some kind of opiates because she was doing all right, but then she was a little bit fucked up and then she falls down and hurts herself and has to go to the hospital. So we'll get more into that a little later. Next scene we get is Wendy and Marty at the hospital. A lot of hospitals in this one. Probably could even be the same hospital in Chicago. Uh, Wendy, and this is where we find out, I think a little more, that Wendy lost the baby in an accident. Is this where we see her do the pregnancy test or is it later on? I think it's later on. I think that what happened was Taylor mentioned she miscarried uh, early in the, when we were watching the show, mm -hmm. but it's because mm -hmm. we had watched it previously multiple times. So I don't think they actually reveal it in the episode fully. Even if you suspect that's what was going on, I don't think they uh, reveal it. In the yeah, they, they, yeah, they do. Do they? They do. In the conversation in the car, Marty and Wendy talk about how the doctors didn't think it would be possible. She barely survived Jonah. Ah, uh, right. Well, you know what? In the car... Uh, at the very beginning, now I remember the conversation they're having about the choices was whether or not to have a baby. But again, we'll get to that a little bit later. Mm -hmm. That makes me think that conversation was before they even met Dell. And it shows mm -hmm. between Bruce and Marty. It's way back because the kids are super young. Mm -hmm. So we're just seeing like a... Uh, well, anyway, we go forward. And... That's part of the magic of this episode is that all those bits make sense, but it's kind of hard to place where they, where they are in a linear timeline. And in my life, my memory works that way too. I know a lot of people who can recall dates and years, numbers uh, with their memories. I can recollect exact details, add physical details, sound, uh, visual, taste sometimes. Uh, but sensory and visceral detail of, of long chains of memories throughout my life. But I have a hard time uh, navigating dates unless there's some reason that a specific date burned into my mind, then I can find my way from that to the memory. But it doesn't, it's not cataloged by a, in a linear timeline. It's cataloged in a different way, at least in my memory works. I don't know how that is for other people, but this episode reminded me of Things can make sense even if you don't view them in a linear timeline. And in this way, we're getting, uh, we're seeing like uh, not only the evolution of Marty and Wendy over time, but we're seeing that in a certain sense, who they are has been there all, the, all along. It's just that the circumstances were never extreme enough to, to really put them to the test. So to speak. Yeah. So I'm still wondering if when Marty arrived home, if he had even known about Dell yet, when the chair was tipped over, if that's mm -hmm. just implied. I think they're playing with us. Just, he seemed, mm -hmm. could be ambiguous. On mm -hmm. A little bit. Uh, or they could have mapped it on a timeline and then plucked the scenes out of that timeline and arranged them for their purposes. But it'd be interesting if we get to talk to the writers. Writers, if you're listening to this for some reason, I'd love to know how you constructed this episode. I think it would be... It would be enlightening to, to folks to, to get behind an episode like this. Get behind the scenes. So anyway, uh, we get to Dell calls Marty and has him at this hotel. So apparently they did go on the vacation. Again, it's somewhat unclear what hotel they're at or where they are in the world or what's going on here. But Dell calls Marty and has him down for a drink at 2 or 3 in the morning. And Marty says, oh, but isn't the bar closed? And he says, not for us. And Del, uh, Del says, I like you, Marty. You I like the way you never suffer nor feed bullshit. Great line. You never suffer nor feed bullshit. Yeah. Um, pretty soon after they, we see them meet down there. Marty uh, kind of cuts right to the chase with something. He says... Uh, Says that's $175 a drink. I'm guessing we're not here to talk about golf. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's not 
kind of smile and nod and play along and wait for Dell to get to the point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dell is connecting with Marty again, using some negotiation tactics. He was connecting with him, not about the work, but about the accident and, and about his wife. And he says, you think your life is going one way and then it changes forever in the blink of an eye. I need you to work for me, Marty. Marty's concerned about risk and Dell's like, risk? What are you concerned about risk? It's fine if nobody does anything stupid. So Marty knows at this point that it's money laundering. Dell says he's been to 16 other firms and nobody saw, no other firm saw in the books what Marty saw. And what was that line there? Integrity is a shield. You have integrity. Integrity is a shield to greed and vanity. This is a key line right there. Integrity is a shield against greed and vanity. Well, this is where we see if this is, is this Marty, is Marty in, in a free agent? Uh, or is Marty a, a worker? What is he here? And Della starts exposing it. And Marty starts arguing, they're arguing over ethics. And Dell says, well, what do you mean? Societal ethics or, uh, or personal ethics? What are your ethics more? And what's your highest value? What's your highest mission? And so protect and provide for my family. Mm -hmm. And then Dell says, okay, well, I want to work just with you and my groups. And Marty says, no, we need groups because he's the one who's going to get all the clients with the money we need to launder your money. And he goes, oh, okay, so loyalty to friends, is that another one of your ethics? And Marty said, thinks about it and says yes. Yeah, so we're seeing Marty's ethic here, which uh, is solid even before he gets involved with Dell. This is just a conversation on the vacation now. So Marty's already said no. Dell says he wants to work with him again. And, Mar and then Dell says, well, this sounds like the kind of conversation that's leading up to you saying yes to working for me. <laughs> and Marty says, no, it's just the way my brain works. I'm just playing out the scenario. That's an interesting little key right there mm -hmm. to the way Marty works. It's just the way my brain works, playing out the scenario. Mm -hmm. So he can think then, that way. Yeah. And then he says, Wendy would never go for it. So everyone's looking for Wendy to be the out. <laughs> <laughs> None of us have to make this decision anyway, because Wendy won't do it. So then, so we're seeing that they're relying on her to basically be their moral compass. <laughs> because if she says no, he knows he can't do it because it, his mission is to take care of her and the kids. And if he, she says no, then and he goes against her, he's not really taking care of her. Right? Because he, she's saying that no, that's too big of a risk. But if she says yes, the risk is okay, then he's still doing his mission. That's important in the kaleidoscope because the show is going to show later how, again, how it was an inevitability that they end up working for Dell. Petty is at the FBI office in the next scene, trying to go after Lewis so he can start being an agent, bigger agent and trying to go after a cartel instead of just going after like money laundering and embezzlement in the banking systems. Shows Petty with his partner, uh, his, his husband, that is, uh, in his own house with the mom living there now after she was uh, staying there, at least. And yeah, I don't know how Petty's relationship goes sour. They haven't told that part of the story yet, but uh, he sure seems happier here. I know. He seems just alive, at least. And they're they're, he's sleeping with the guy. They have a nice house. And she, He's taking care of the mom and she asks where her prescription is and the guy says oh it's on top of the fridge or wherever it is and at this point we hear that petty's dissatisfied with his job he's basically saying that he wants to be going after bigger cases rather than just he's like i'm just some kind of worker you know this is ridiculous cut to the next scene wendy talking to a younger charlotte about what a job is because uh, Wendy's going to go out and get a job. And we basically see that the kids are worried about not being able to see her as much. She's like, oh no, all you'll always be able to, I'll be always be around. You'll always be able to see me as much. 
this again is another little bit of pressure. The kids are worried about not being able to see their mom if she does get a job. So you see how the pressure is coming from two angles. If she doesn't get a job, she doesn't get to feel like she's providing. And that's what she, she's been missing working and being out hustling or campaigning or whatever she likes to do, connecting and networking with people. And she's been distant from it ever since she's had the kids and she wanted to get back into it, couldn't get back into it. And even if she does now, her kids are worried about not having, having enough time with her. So it seems like a no way out situation for her. If she gets a job, the kids will miss her. If she doesn't get the job, she's not living, doing her career. She feels like she's quit her life, half of her life. Which is very interesting because both of those things are fulfilled in in her first months in the Ozarks. Isn't that funny? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because uh, when she on the porch, is she on the porch yet? Yeah, she's on the porch, and she says she's having an existential meltdown. <laughs> and he offers the solution of the trip to go down and, and see Dell, And there you go. She didn't have a choice in the matter. <laughs> and it's amazing how willing she is to, to do it. She barely puts up any resistance at all. She's in. <laughs> well, before we get there, she does to some degree. And then we see that how it, how it goes over the edge. Before that we saw, after Wendy was talking to Charlotte about getting a job, we come cut back to Petty dropping his mom off. And she mm. sounds and appears to be fucked up, like really slurry. Uh, and she seems to be recovered from whatever injury she had. And he goes, he follows her into the house and sees that she's doing drugs. There's a nasty guy at the house. He squeezes out the heroin out of the needle in her hand. And the dealer tries to attack him and he beats the shit out of him. And his mom is just screaming, where'd you hide it? Where'd you, where do you keep it? Where do you keep it? Still just total junkie, strung out. And she runs away down the street pissed off. And uh, she, she tells him something like, if you ever come near me again, I'm gonna, I'll tell your boss you beat me. Yeah, something like that. So she's, Lifers. this was probably a massive blow for Petty. We've seen that he obviously cared for his mom. Yeah, and this is like horrible. And he's an FBI agent, and she's like furthest thing away from that. Mm -hmm. Then the next scene is Marty, Wendy, and the kids watching a TV show and then going to bed. And Wendy seeming distraught. So this is where uh, we get that little bit of background. And you started to mention Lance. Wendy's feeling distraught. Marty finds her sitting there all upset. And she apologizes for being distant with him and the kids. And she tells a story here that she used to break into houses as a kid and how liberating it felt, uh, like living like someone else for a few hours. But finally, oh, that she, explains it. Right. Go ahead, Lance. Well, that's why the faucet was on and the chair was over, knocked over. Right. So she said it was so liberating, feeling like someone else. But then she also said she would face the truth. And it was that she didn't belong there. So she's kind of saying she does, feels like she doesn't belong there in her own life. And she tipped yeah. over. Yeah, she, oh shit, that's hilarious. How do I not catch that till we're talking? Mm -hmm. uh, she, that's when she says, um, she also says one of our key lines that we use in the training and some of the marketing for Art of NGF and Command Z is uh, to stop feeling like a fraud. It's a big deal to stop feeling like a fraud. And she says, I'm feeling like a fraud for some reason. Mm -hmm. After she said she played, played the little pranks. And the little pranks she mentioned, she actually did mention leaving the faucet running and tipping over chairs. Uh, for some reason lately, I've been feeling like a fraud. I'm sorry, I'm just a big fat existential mess. Another great line from Wendy. Mm -hmm. And that's at the moment Marty convinces her and says, you know what, let's take the vacation from Dell. So the pressure is on. He doesn't decide to work for Dell yet. He just says, you know what, let's just take the vacation from him. He hasn't even asked her yet. He hasn't told her what it is at that point in this part of the timeline because he just said, mm -hmm. 
uh, it's just a gift from him. It's just a gift from a, from a potential client uh, because I helped him out with his books. And then he's like, so what? Maybe if I check his books out every now and again, no big deal. And uh, he said, didn't you always want me to be more spontaneous? This is it. This is me being spontaneous. So he's basically wasn't going to go and was going to drop Dell completely. And at this moment, he uses the vacation from Dell as a way to cheer up Wendy, which is really weird because if he'd used his, he could have just used his own money to take her on a vacation, on a private vacation. You see what I mean? Like, why didn't he use, why didn't they just use their own money to go on a private vacation uh, or take a few days off work and be at home with her? You know what I mean? Why does it have to be, oh, you know what? Dell offered a vacation. Let's just go on that. So in a way, he's thinking, oh, the vacation is a way to get Wendy to consider this offer. So in a certain sense, they're lining, he's lining, they're all lining up, whether it's consciously or unconsciously, for him to be working for Dell. Next scene we got is Bruce and Lewis. And Bruce says, what do you do, for, what is it you do for Dell? And this is out on the golf course. And he says, don't we all do the same thing? Put the money through the washer? And Bruce is like, oh, fuck. And Bruce says, Marty's right about not working. Bruce is basically saying, like, Marty's right about not working for Dell. And he's like, anyway, Wendy. Oh. So, again, Bruce doesn't want to do it, but he's relying on Wendy to be his moral <laughs> compass. Everyone's moral compass. Wendy. Yeah. He says, remind me to never doubt your instincts. Yeah. He says, I'm down for whatever, but Wendy's going to kibosh this. <laughs> yeah. So then we have Petty and his husband going on a trip. Oh no, at this point, you know what? That wasn't where Bruce said that he was uh, down for whatever. This is, that was earlier or a different part of the timeline because this is where Bruce is saying like, oh fuck, Marty's actually right. Don't, we should not work for that. And then they mm. talk about it and he says, no, Wendy won't do it anyway. Next scene we get is Petty and the husband going on a trip and they throw out, uh, she says, just toss out my prescription. I just want ibuprofen. So she's already saying, like, I'm not even going to take the opiates. I'm completely over. Just give me ibuprofen. So that's while she still uh, has the pains. Oh, she still has the injury. And Petty and the husband are going to leave her alone. Then we see Marty and Wendy on, a vac on the vacation, the Dell vacation. He tells Wendy about the offer. And he says, I turned him down. Then they say, well, why don't we just discuss it? We're just discussing things. It's just talking, so who cares? So Wendy and he discuss it. Marty explains how it could work. And she's like, well, how much money is it going to be? And he's like, basically, we never have to worry about money again, ever. And as you guys said, the long and short of it is, she just rolls over at that point and goes for it. But it did take a lot of steps getting to that point pressures and miscarriage and thinking about money yeah yeah the thing is that Marty must have been making that decision somewhat on on the level of greed or at least on the level of um being thrifty because he thought like instead of thinking of oh i'll just spend our money our own money and take her on a vacation which wouldn't cost much even to take a short weekend to a bed and breakfast you know, in chicago you know what i mean or out on the lake lake michigan God damn it in, anywhere in that area, you on vacation for under a thousand dollars for a pretty grand experience, and so for him to to accept Dell's offer is kind of like, oh, I don't have to pay for it either. I can make Wendy feel better. I don't have to pay for it, and maybe I'll work for Dell. Maybe fuck knows. Yeah, but the, and then don't forget the, the yeah the overarching theme of the story is how all of these events led one into another. And we've all been in positions when we're about to make big decisions where it's like we have to say yes because we've realized we've already taken the step. There isn't. <laughs> and what's interesting is remembering the way Marty tried to blame, Marty tried to lay blame on Wendy for her sleeping with Gary Silverberg. 
which is a typical move to say like, oh, you were, you were, for each of us, all of us do this. this is an interesting part of the training, the NGF training is to realize this, but we all try to lay blame on everyone else in our life, especially when we get in arguments or have difficulties. And we act as if all of them were making fully conscious, present choices and fucking us over by doing so. When the reality is, they, just like us, were probably making most of our choices compulsively or driven by unconscious pressures that we don't understand or aren't aware of, and then trying to compensate for it with uh, over-explaining and, and thinking we know what's going on. Right. So does, uh, does everything happen for a reason or does everything just happen? <laughs> Yeah, it's really hard to say. So we end up blaming each other as though each of us has this perfect volition and we chose to fuck the other person over. But we explain our own mistakes as being inevitable. Oh, well, there's no way I could have done that. I was sick that day. But when the other person's sick, you're like, you could have still fucking done it. You know, I needed you to show up or whatever it was. So as far as uh, Marty's living philosophy... Is yeah, he making is he making decisions or is he he thinks he's making decisions, but he also acknowledges these this greater flow of or, or, or an accumulation of decisions made or a momentum. A moment he calls it a snowball. And I'd imagine like a snowball rolling down a mountain. Has momentum and weight and mass so so that he's experiencing reality as the totality of decisions made by people. That's the way he's explaining it to himself. Do you? Yeah. I'm serious. There's nothing you could do about it. Like my dad always said, everything happens for a reason. Your dad sounds like he was full of shit, with all due respect. Yeah, well, perhaps. And you really believe that? You really think that there's some some preordained chart floating around up in the ether with our fate all figured out? I don't know about a preordained chart. It's a bunch of crap. Things happen because... Human beings make decisions, they commit acts that makes things happen and it creates a snowball effect with the, you know, their world around them, causes other people to make decisions, cycle continues, snowball keeps rolling. But what's interesting is his philosophy doesn't matter as much as his ethic and then his mode of operations and his mode is to be at, as present as he can be to the details of what actually is rather than his imagination of how he would like it to be. And in doing so, he's able mm -hmm. to start to fashion situations the way he wants them to be, but only after being present to what's going on. What would the reason be for some healthy five-year-old to get a brain tumor? Or why would a tsunami wipe out a village? Tell those families everything happens for a reason. You know, sometimes people make decisions, shit happens. You've got to act accordingly. Or you can crawl in a hole and die, you know. I sometimes feel as though being present to what's going on is the only thing I'm in charge of. And, uh, and all, all my decisions spring from there, dependent on how present I am or not present. Right. And other people are ruled by their philosophy to some degree or trying to make their circumstances line up with their ideas and their ideals. Whereas Marty has a philosophy about it, but it's constantly evolving and it's dependent on circumstances. And if circumstances are different or prove his philosophy wrong, he doesn't care. It's just dropped before he even notices it. And he's dealing with actual circumstances. That's all it is, and he's willing to adapt constantly. So his philosophy doesn't matter. It just, mm -hmm. but, it, but it's also interesting to see how he explains what's happening to himself, which gives him the power, even though he knows it's. You don't. Right. And that's why Dell likes him as well so much. Well, the next scene we get is petting Petty's mom. Uh, must have been after her hospitalization. She's at his house. Uh, after he had thrown out the opiates, and she's trembling without the pain pills. Eddie thinks it's because she's in pain from the hospital thing. To me, it's pretty apparent that she's suffering from opiate withdrawal 
that's what they're trying to depict. Mm -hmm. And then at this point, he gets her to take the opiate prescription pills. And I think we're going to see later that this is setting us up to understand that Eddie blames himself for his mom's uh, getting back on the drugs on heroin. And he got her to take them. I mean, they really show us that's, that whole scene is just him getting her to take the pills when she's trembling. He's like, it's okay, just when you're it, just when you're recovering, who cares? She's like, no, no, no. And then she's like, okay, fine, just once. Next scene, finally, Wendy on the toilet. She she and she's got a positive pregnancy test. She's like, God damn. And that's when they uh, they basically we see the end of the conversation that began at the beginning of the episode. And they uh -huh talking to each other and deciding to keep the baby, even though Marty brings up that before they had Jonah, they thought, oh no, we don't have enough money to take care of a kid. And then he's like, then we made it happen. She's like, well, what uh -huh. do you think? We have enough? And he's like, no, but I'm saying that we can make anything happen. We can make it happen. And right, it seems like at the moment they're gonna decide to keep it, they get in the crash. With uh, that'll be the day that I die playing on the radio. <laughs> Right, and that'll be the day that I die, the song they have. <laughs> and pretty intense little scene there, the crash. And so we see the crash now recontextualized with us knowing all this backstory and front story. All the front story of the seven episodes before this, and then now all the backstory of the various flashbacks. So this was the final, it was an earlier straw, but in a way it was the, the thing that made the decision inevitable was that she got that positive pregnancy test and then she gets in the crash and loses the baby. Uh -huh. And that creates a crushing sense of existential pressure that yeah. no matter what, she can never return to her old life. She's telling us she can never return to her old life. You really gonna do this? Are we gonna do this? Well, I'm good with it if you are. Same here. Then I guess we're really gonna do this. She's telling us she can never return to her old life. So this op offering of Dell of a brand new life, you see that? That solves all her career and relationship and money crises, seemingly. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Now in the end, it obviously doesn't because she's cheating and, and she's still not. They have to break the entire life. But we see that Wendy was already having the existential crisis that precedes Marty's collapse when he, when, uh, Dell comes and kills Bruce and everybody else in the first episode. So now we go to Marty with Dell, and Marty tells Dell we're in, and he goes in with Bruce into the bar at apparently probably at uh, uh, Dell's uh, villa somewhere. And right at that fucking moment, Dell kills Lewis. Right at that moment, Marty is in, initiated into <laughs> what's actually going on, and he sees that it was very fucking different than even the most extreme scenario he had imagined. Hey, uh, so, hey, um, we're in. This calls for a drink. Oh, and, uh, Reese, your services are no longer needed. What are you talking oh, about? Del, oh, Del. I didn't know I was taking his job. No, Luis wasn't going to be hanging around much anyway because he's a cheat. He cheats on his wife and in business, even cheats in golf. And cheaters eventually get caught. Del, I don't know what you're talking about. And it's become clear to me a very real possibility that you've been working with the feds. I swear on my fucking son's life. I didn't talk to him. Stop. Stop. See, Luis, I'm a believer that there are times when things are related in the universe. 
What do they call it in the movie with the, the dinosaurs? Outright chaos. You see, the feds were snooping around, which caused you to make some piss-poor attempt to cover your tracks, which allowed a shrewd person like Marty Bird to identify your shoddy work and thieving ways, which then inspires me to pursue Mr. Bird. And this is the most extreme scenario he had imagined. Yeah. Everything is different from then on out. Yeah, Dell shows his face. And what we see here, Dell kills Lewis and he has the, his henchmen cut out his eyes. And they go, what do you want us to do with these? And he said, save them for a rainy day. I forgot where those eyeballs came from. You have to watch it twice to even make the connection. <laughs> I know. I don't think I, I think so much happens in the show that that eyeball connection, I didn't make it until this time. And I was like, oh, fuck. It wasn't even just somebody's eyeballs. It was the pre uh -huh. Oh, shit. So that's why Wendy and Marty were so horrified when they got the eyes in, in the mail. Uh, so Marty sees what he's gotten himself into, and uh, and he shows Marty what he's involved, what uh, he's actually involved in. In the next scene, it shows Marty at home with his kids, and I think he's distanced from the whole thing. He, he sees what he's done and the web that he's involved in, and there was no way he could have understood it from the outside. Mm -hmm. I got the sense seeing that scene where he walks back into the house that he the he himself was entering into a new space that he had never been to before. Mm -hmm. It's his calling. The Ozark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no way out uh, of it. And then if you think back to like how he got the pamphlet from Bruce, just because Bruce happened to have gone on a vacation in the Ozarks to, to look at timeshares, which is another weird thing that Bruce didn't select to go to the Ozarks. He went again out of greed. Why didn't he just pay and go vacation wherever he wants in the world? Because he has tons of money or enough money to do that. No, he goes to a free vacation paid by a marketing timeshare company to a place that he wouldn't have chosen to go and then realized it was okay and kind of cool and passes Marty the pamphlet. But you see that even the location wasn't somewhere that Bruce just would have thought to go. See what I mean? It was in another inevitability. It was like uh, out letting. So Kaleidoscope, what do you guys think? Some final thoughts? What do you guys listening think to think about this? Definitely leave some comments. Leave some reviews in the, in the uh, iTunes listing. But what do you guys think of the kaleidoscope? What is it? Is it inevitability? Did anyone here make a choice? Who's pulling who's? Yeah, what a fascinating episode. I'm really I'm pleased with it. And I think it it's a mystery. It leaves it open. It's a mystery for each person, each viewer to... Uh, pick apart, to investigate, and in doing so, I think you might find a fascinating way of looking back at your own life. Uh, I'm just saying that any decision made, big or small, has an impact around the world. It's difficult.